Today at Fearless Wealth, we have world dominator Bobby Casey, and we had to do it. Mm -hmm. We had to talk about taxing the rich and other bullshit, uneducated Twitter phrases like that, and why it's a little bit more complicated than that. This means we're touching a lot of untouchy subjects, painful subjects. I invite you to not do any conclusive thinking as in, oh, they said that, therefore they must be blah, blah, blah. Stay away from binary and polarity and all these American ways of thinking and extreme harmful methods and just learn and get in on the conversation. It's really, really good at Fearless Wealth. And with us here at Fearless Wealth, we have world domination, Bobby Casey, with us. And um, this conversation got inspired through my annoyance of the rising again of the the, the new repetitive viral post of the 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 comment tax the rich and everything. And um, I made a whole post about it that obviously. I think a lot of people, you know, what they often mean is like, I wish there was more perhaps support for people of a lower or working class. And I think, I think everyone kind of maybe shares that same sentiment. We would like to have a, I don't know, more pleasant world to whatever extent. However, taxing the rich more is never the answer, but it, because it shows like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Because if you knew, you wouldn't say that comment. And then me and Bobby <laughs> started to go off. <laughs> it's always my favorite subject, really. It, 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 is a, it is a fun subject to hit on. Um, and tax the rich is usually a, it's a very divisive comment, right? And it ends up, ultimately, as much as I hate this shit, it ends up being a political thing because... It's driven from this divisiveness that I'm not rich and I've got to blame somebody on on my problems or, or otherwise I have to suck it up and accept responsibility for my own failures as a human being. So why don't we blame the rich people who are just fucking the world over? So how about we go tax the rich, right? And so what really got me was one of your – one, one of one of your buddies on uh, Facebook, and and I recognize this clearly not your buddy, but one of your one of your buddies on there said <clears throat> the the solution is simple: we just tax the rich more, um, we close corporate loopholes, um, and we implement a uh, socialized healthcare system. Simple, and I thought simple. Sure, sure. It's such a naive viewpoint that you can just fix all the world. So first of all, like, oh, and he mentioned something, or she, I don't know if it was a girl or a, a guy. But anyway, they mentioned something about uh, cutting military spending also. I'm all for cutting military spending. Personally, I'd like to see it cut to zero. Like, I think, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, um 
in, in the United States, about a, a bit more than 25% of the entire federal budget is spent on military spending. But the idea that you can just say cut military spending and we're going to solve those problems is such a naive viewpoint because and, – and I made – I don't know if you even read my response to this. this I responded. But if, if you understand how the world actually works, essentially – what happens is you have some, let's say, uh, General Dynamics, for example, is bidding for this $5 billion uh, government spending contract. Well, the reality of how that really works is you've got, you got in, in Washington, you got all these uh, committees that are, you know, coming up with budgets for this or that. And you got a bunch of congressmen that have to approve appropriations bills to get it passed or added as a, you know, what, what, what do they call uh, pork belly spending and some other bill. But they get it added to get it funded so that Raytheon, or what I say, General Dynamics gets their $5 billion contract. Well, what really happens is the execs at General Dynamics, they're whining and dining congressmen, giving them all expense paid vacations on private jets to the Caribbean, taking them out to expensive dinners, hosting parties, donating to their favorite charities, their foundations, right? Like the Clinton Foundation, for example, or or any of these other bullshit foundations, right? And so they're giving a bunch of money to these foundations and they're whining and dining congressmen. And now all of a sudden you have congressmen buying shares or buying call options of General Dynamics you know, days or weeks before this uh, $5 billion spending bill gets approved. Well, what happens, right? That $5 billion spending bill gets approved, the stock market shoots up, or the or general dynamics stock shoots up, and all these congressmen made millions of dollars off of trading a trading a a big move in the stock because they knew it was happening because they were the ones signing off on it, right? Like, for example, you know the whole Martha Stewart thing, right? Martha Stewart went to jail for insider trading because, you know, she was basically given a tip by an insider and she made a trade before the public news came out. Martha Stewart goes to jail for that. Congressmen don't go to jail for trading insider tips because they make the tips, Mm -hmm. right? They actually have no consequence to trading inside information on on this type of stuff. So going back to the point that your your buddy on Facebook said, let's just cut government spending. I, I don't see how that's ever going to happen because that's like saying all these congressmen are going to cut off their own feet. They're not going to do it because they're going to they're hurting their own pocketbooks. I mean, you look at congressmen, like you've got so many of them enter Congress with nominal wealth. You know, maybe they're a little bit wealthy, but like not super wealthy. And then 15 years in Congress, they've been there. They make $150,000, $200,000 a year, and somehow their net worth went from a million to a hundred million. Figure, figure that out. How do you go from a million net worth to a hundred million net worth in 15 years? on a salary of $150,000 a year. And what I feel, yes to everything you said, and what one of my biggest annoyances uh-huh. is that we, um, in a time where everything is supposed to be at one, you know, 120 characters, a Twitter phrase, 
I feel we need more nuance and we need more conversation. Um, you know, tax mm-hmm. the rich, defund the police, all these like hip phrases that completely lost their original meaning, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. oh, all kinds of stuff does that, right? Absolutely. Like, uh, we mentioned, this was a while ago, but we mentioned like the feminist movement. It kind of lost its original intent. Absolutely. Original yeah. feminism was, you know, to give equal rights to women because, you know, they couldn't get a job or they had to take their husband to go open a bank account. There we go. Shit like that. But now what is the feminism movement? It's quite a ways different. Hating men. It equals hating hating men. men. Yeah. It's hating men. It's not any more like, you know, equalization or, you know, or equal opportunity anyway. What's, what's my favorite thing is, and this is what I support equal opportunity, not necessarily equal result. Because yeah, we absolutely. have to work for our result, but we should be given equal opportunity. Anyway, but that's one. Li- the liberal movement, the, you know, when we the, – the whole term liberal came from the word liber, the Latin, Latin root word liber, which means freedom or liberty. <clears throat> but now you've got a Democratic Party that claims they're liberals. They are the farthest thing from – Liberty, <laughs> then you could you, you can imagine, but it's such a twisting of of words and terms that happens over time. And just like you said, all these movements they start with a phrase that has a certain power meaning in in that moment, maybe, but it never ends up going going there because you know we're like we're individuals. We have individual views, individual opinions, upbringings, and stuff. We're hard to get into a um, a homogenous group. It doesn't really happen. Well, and I feel that you know the um, I had the conversation with a friend last week about this, where they said something like, you know, I feel we are at the spike of you know humanity, and I feel, and I said, I actually feel we're at the spike of technology, perhaps, but as a human collective, we're going absolutely fucking backwards. Um, and especially in the West, I feel this is the case because, you know, the conversations as a European, the fact that, you know, healthcare is such a profitable business here is a very abstract concept to, you know, my dad had cancer and we've never seen a bill. Like he got radiation for two years. He got brought to the hospital. I've never seen a bill in my life. In Czech Republic? Czech Republic, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even in even in the Netherlands, in the Netherlands is it's getting slowly more towards a like paid, but still, right? There's there's it's a significant dif- different than here having hundreds of thousands of debt, which your kids will have to pay at some point, or I don't even know how it works. Which it's it's just an abstract thing, and I feel that so many morals are wrongfully intertwined in these conversations because <laughs> it, we always put in, you know, we first of all we we exchange responsibility and blame like no other, which is two completely different things, right? Like we always say, it's not, it's not, you're not to blame where you were born geographically. That goes for the West, right? Like in a more, 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 you know, rural or whatever shitty neighborhood versus wherever in the fucking world, if you're actually born in some fucking fifth world country, that's not for you to blame. You do have a responsibility if you want to get wherever you want to get. That's on you. Right. You start where you start. Where you get is on you. Right? Yeah. And that's not, there's no fair here, right? 
that's a little bit like your luck post, right? Maybe there is some element of luck in in how it happens. There is or there isn't. But what 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 you can control is your inputs. Yeah. How you spend your time, what you do with your time. How, you know, like if you're a lazy ass and you sit around all day and then nothing happens, well, kind of makes sense, right? Um, I want to hit on your healthcare topic real quick because I, mm-hmm. I I um I think this is interesting. Um uh, superior world leader and I were discussing this healthcare topic mm-hmm. earlier this morning, and um, because some news came out in in Latvia, you know, one of my home countries now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they, they've gone mad with this COVID stuff. They've gone, I don't know, like they started out really great, low key. Not many restrictions, just nothing. All of a sudden, they've gone completely mad. Now, literally in Latvia, you have you if, without having the vaccine, the only place you can go in town without a vaccine is the grocery store and the pharmacy. Mm. You can't go to the mall. Mm. <laughs> no government buildings. No museums. No movie theaters. Nothing indoor, no sporting events, no music event, nothing. Like they even have mask rules for hiking in the forest. Like it's, they've gone completely mad. So we were discussing it this morning. And basically one of the issues they have is they don't have enough doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. That was, That's already the case for several years. It has nothing to do with COVID, by the way. This right. has been the case in East Europe for, fuck, even as I'm, I'm 33, even I remember there being a shortage. When I was Absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, this is not a COVID-centric option, mm-hmm. but their concern is if there's an increase in number of sick people coming into the hospital, then they don't have the capacity to treat them. It's not even about hospital beds or physical space. There's no limit. Like we, we have plenty of hospital beds. That's not an issue in, in Latvia. It's we don't have enough doctors and nurses to treat them. And and this is the concern. Now, there's I'll go off on a slight tangent here. I do think one of the biggest problems of this, this over and it's not even overloading, actually. It's just maybe not enough nurses, for example. I think one of the biggest issues is the media bonanza about how horrible this is has got people so freaked out and scared they're going to die of COVIDs that they get a sniffle or a fever and they run to the hospital. Whereas pre-COVIDs, we get a sniffle and a fever. What do we do? We go nothing, buy, nothing at all. We go buy we go buy a, a case of Gatorade and we lay on the couch and watch Netflix for a few days. Lemon, maybe some ginger if you're into some like holistic shit. That's it. I'm, extra, I'm so, extra bad sauna. To, totally into holistic shit. We do all the ginger teas and mm-hmm. uh, essential oils and all this stuff, right? But anyway, so you, mm-hmm. you, you now, now you actually create the fear in the media to make people come to the hospital to overload the the nurses. When in reality. 99% of these people should never come to the doctor. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yes, of course. If I'm having shortness of breath or I've got a fever of 41 degrees <clears throat> or something like that, yeah, go to the hospital. But I got a fever of 37.5 and I sniffed sniffed and had a couple of coughs. That's kind of dumb to run to the hospital. 
right? Mm -hmm. But people are filling it up, right? So anyway, so that was a little bit of a side topic that I believe this is one of the reasons why there's a little bit of a capacity issue is we've bombarded the media to scare the fuck out of people to go to the hospital when they sniffle. And to add to that, I I publicly asked on uh, Facebook this week, and it's always with a double layer. I asked, how many times does a person have to hear something abusive or fearful before they start believing it themselves? And I had be- I received beautiful answers. Right, people were like, "Hey, if you're a somewhat like s- strong person and you hear it once a day for six months, maybe you'll start believing it." And I'm like, "I'm a week ago, like there's no no calculation for that." Okay, so how long do you take it takes before? If you hear that same abusive or fearful, fearful message thousand times a day for a year, how do you think that impacts your nervous system and your thinking? And everyone was like, absolutely. oh, shit. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Shit. Right. Well, I mean, that's just <clears throat> everyone is susceptible to brainwashing um, mm-hmm. every human being because, you know, our brains are just computers. What we what we input, we output. Right. The old, the old term guy go garbage in, garbage out, good in, good out. Um, so we, we output what we input and the more we input, the more we get the output. So a lot of this has to do from a, from a mental standpoint, a lot of it has to do with controlling our own input. If we're fear-based, um, if we're fear-based, we're going to like, you know, shift towards watching stuff that scares us more because we're freaked the fuck out, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens on the physiological side? If we're fear-based, our body produces high levels of cortisol, which lowers our immunity, which then in turn makes us more susceptible to getting ill in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, all, it's all a game, right? Back to my hospital. <clears throat> so in in Latvia, they have, you know, maybe not enough nurses and doctors for the over, the overloading of the fear-based sniffle and, you know, people with, with, uh, you know, some symptoms. And, but part of the reason they don't really have enough nurses and doctors is because it is this socialized medical system. And there's not a lot of incentive to go to school for five or six years to be a nurse when, what do you, you like best case scenario, you make a thousand euros a month. Why would I go to school for six years to be a nurse if, like, my reward for doing that? We're humans, right? And so no matter what, we're still humans, and we want to be rewarded for our input. So if our reward is to make a 1,000 euros a month, or I go to school for eight to 10 years to become a doctor, and my reward is maybe I can make two or 3,000 euros a month, like, why, why would I do that? Why, why would I make that? Why would I make that effort to do that? Now, hold on one sec. So let me contrast to the U.S. system. The U.S. system is completely fucked, but it's not fucked for for what most of the uh, world with socialized medicine. It's not fucked because of the reasons they think it's fucked. Mm -hmm. It's fucked because the, the, the free market system it could be is so strangled by regulation that we can't allow, like, for example, I, I took, um, <clears throat> I took Lincoln, my son, I took him to, uh, the, which doctor was it the other day? Oh, I took him to get a physical for just for a sports physical. He's playing sports this year and we had to get a sports physical for school. I took him there. This doctor's office. Okay. Has two doctors and at least 20 administrators. 
in there. Because of all the regulations and all the red tape they have to jump through, and it raises that cost dramatically because of all the red tape and the regulations they have to do. So another piece of this, and I've looked at this pretty in-depth, one of the biggest problems in the U.S. you've got right now from the health insurance perspective, one of the biggest problems you've got, you have two primary nationwide health insurance companies, two, right? That's almost a monopoly. It's a duopoly, right? I mean, it's almost a monopoly. It's a duopoly. You've got Blue Cross Blue Shield and United Healthcare. Okay. Do you know why we only have two in the U.S. nationwide? Okay. Because each state requires you to be licensed under their regulations in each state. And at the federal level, they don't allow it. You, you can't compete across state lines unless you have the license in each state and the regulations are slightly different. So they actually don't allow competition across state lines. So, for example, <clears throat> you're in Arizona. An Arizona insurance company can't insure, can't write an insurance policy for somebody in New Mexico across the state line unless they go and create a new company in New Mexico and they follow all the regulations and rules in New Mexico, okay? And so what that's done, it's it's whittled it down to only two major companies that have the, the capacity to compete on a national level. But why is that? Because these two companies have major lobbying groups in Washington, D.C., and by lobbying, what I really mean is bribery. They had two major bribery groups in Washington. They had their own bribery groups in Washington, D.C. that bribe lawmakers to make it practically impossible for small insurance companies to compete across state lines. So what they've actually done in the U.S., even though you claim it's a free market healthcare system, it's anything but free. It's crony capitalist system because only the ones that are allowed to compete across state lines are allowed. And they only got that way through, you know, their lobbying or bribing. I mean, like just one, one simple regulation change in the U S would massively improve the cost of healthcare. And that would be opening, opening it up and allowing any health insurance company to compete across state lines. But back to my, back to my defense, defense argument, it's probably not going to happen. It's just unlikely that's ever going to happen because uh, of this bribery system, sorry, lobbying system, right? Mm -hmm. It happens in Washington. It's unlikely it'll ever happen like that. Could it happen? Yes, of course it could. But think about it. Do you think Congress is going to pass a bill allowing insurance companies to compete across state lines when they've got – United Healthcare or Blue Cross Blue Shield sending them on month-long Bahamas vacations on their private jets, you know, and donating to their favorite charities and, you know, funding all their things they want to get done. It's just not going to happen because Billy Joe's Healthcare out of New Mexico can't compete with that at the financial level. Like, the system is fucked. It's just not fucked the way a lot of, like, people from Europe think it's fucked. They think it's fucked because they think it should be a single-payer system. In my opinion, a single-payer system would probably in the States would probably be way worse. And the reason I say that is because the U.S. does have a single-payer system. It's called the VA, 
okay, for, for military. And then they also have Medicare for, for elderly people and Medicaid for poor people. All three of those are single-payer systems, and they're fucking terrible. Yeah. I know, I know guys <clears throat> that in the military that they can't get appointments at the VA hospital, you know, for like six months to get an appointment. Same thing with Medicare and Medicaid. The quality of facilities is terrible. The quality of the service is terrible. You can't get appointments for weeks or months at a time. Mm-hmm. We've already proven in the U.S. that we can't manage a single-payer system. And that's, yeah. <laughs> no, and that's why I feel it's so important that we need more and more in-depth and nuanced conversation about this. When we say like, hey, you know, um, when, we, when we take examples of other nations, <clears throat> like again, yes, we like the idea but what does the execution, what would the execution even theoretically look like? And for that, you have to understand what the current system operates like, right? Right. But yeah, we would all be like, hey, you know, you know, if there would be no sexual assault, life would be great. Yeah, cool. But now what? Or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you know what? But now what? No, no, what'd you say? If there would be no what? No sexual assault in the world, then blah, blah, oh, blah. sexual yeah. assault, Okay. <laughs> we can make up all these utopic scenarios, and that's great. We need to do that, but we need to do that while understanding what the current systems what the real th- look what like. the real shit is, right? Exactly. Yeah, so, and this is so, the problem. Like, yeah. like, like your 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 buddy on your Facebook post. Let's let's tax the rich more. Okay, that sounds great, right? Like that that in a in a perfect world, you just say, all right, let's just jack the tax rate at fifty percent on the rich people, and they'll just pay more. No, they fucking won't. <laughs> That's the dumbest shit ever. No, they're not gonna fucking pay more. What they're gonna do, especially now, I mean, come on, it we're in a like <clears throat> technology is pretty good now. like it's pretty easy to just pick your business up and move it to a more favorable jurisdiction. It's not hard. I mean, yeah, okay, you've got a factory, like Ford has a factory building F-150s in Kentucky. It's not so easy to move a Ford factory, sure, but you get a software company or any service business, insurance company, all that stuff, super easy to pick it and move it to a new jurisdiction. So you want to jack up the taxes on the wealthy, what do, what do wealthy people do? Well, first of all, wealthy people are fucking smarter than you, right? <laughs> and they're better connected with better lawyers. <clears throat> and so, yeah, like you said, they're just going to leave. They're going to leave to a more favorable jurisdiction with their wealth and their business. And guess what? They also control the capital, which means the means of production, which means the jobs, right? So if they pick up and move, so does your job, right? If you're, you know, a regular W-2 kind of employee, you lose your job. If you push, if you push the wealthy too hard, they just move. If you push them a little bit, not too hard, not hard enough to make them move, but you push them a little bit, right? What, what happens then? If the tax, if the tax goes up, it's a line item expense on their balance sheet or on their profit and loss statement. All they do is raise prices. And if if they raise prices on their products and services they sell, who does that affect more? Somebody that makes $10 million a year or somebody that makes $40,000 a year? Exactly. You know, and same thing with corporate loopholes. Same shit with corporate loopholes. People say close all the corporate loopholes. 
To be honest, that's an idiotic idea. We should just eliminate corporate tax altogether. <coughs> corporate tax would be a huge increase to uh, the the wealth of the economy. I mean, the, the wealth of the people, because if you eliminate, if, if you, well, let's look at it the other way. You raise corporate tax, again, just like my last example. If you raise corporate tax, they just raise prices to consumers and it, it hits you harder than it does the bosses at the company that make seven, seven, eight figures a year, right? I mean, if, if, if we both spend, let's say, you know, you, you you eat and do all your normal stuff in a day. I can only eat so much, right? So as a percentage of my income, if I make $10 million a year, my food cost and my clothing costs and my auto costs and all that stuff, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. But if you make $40,000 a year, that's a huge, if it jumps up 10% or 20%, that's a huge increase. And one, one, one of well, several of my biggest frustrations with conversations like this is, first of all, if we're going to say we're going to tax the rich more, we're going to have to go down a very fucking slippery slope. And we so we have to come to some consensus on where richness starts. <laughs> right, right. And this becomes very fucking tricky, right? Because... First of all, richness also, wealth depends also your geographic location. Rich in New York is significantly rich than, you know, being a fucking mid, mid somewhere in Alabama, right? Like right. the wealth is some completely different conversation. So we cannot agree on that. Then my absolute, absolute biggest frustration is the notion that if we create a bigger budget, the people who are in control right now are going to all of a sudden care more about the lower and working class. <laughs> All of a and, sudden, when there's more money, oh, then they will start caring. Are you right. on fucking crack? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like it's, you you always fix government problems with more government, right? Mm, mm. <laughs> but you know, you, the rich thing is kind of funny, right? Rich is always more than you make. Absolutely. Absolutely. fucking <laughs> Right. More than and, you make, more than you have. And it's always added to moral, meaning the way I perceive you, I get to be the, the judge if you deserve richness. So we can all maybe say like, hey, you know, I like Beyonce's mu music. Therefore, her wealth is well-deserved. But I don't like if I don't fucking know whatever corporation. Therefore, their wealth isn't deserved. Right. And... <clears throat> I don't like we Jeff have, Bezos' morals. Therefore, Jeff Bezos doesn't deserve. Exactly. I like the whole <clears throat> the whole thing. Bezos going into space. People lost their fucking minds over him spending all this money going into space. And he went to fucking space. Great. I'd go to space if I had the money too. Like I would try anyway. I'd probably blow myself up. But you know, I'd, I'd do it. Um, why the fuck do we care what he does with his money? Because. The point is, he's he he is like you said. He is richer than me, and I don't like his morals. Therefore, he doesn't deserve this, right? But Beyonce's richer than me, uh, but I like Beyonce, so sh she's good, right? But what level is what is more? If I make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and you make five hundred, now you're rich and I'm not. But what about the guy below me that makes 50000 And that's what I always keep coming back to. When we say eat the rich, 
America, all of y'all are going to be eaten because compared to the rest of the world, y'all all rich. Even the ones in the hoods, right. even the poverty of the poverty, y'all poverty is still a walk in the fucking park compared to the rest of the world. <laughs> right. I mean, 40 grand a year is the, the world's one percenters, right? Something like that. There we go. There we go. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it, it, it is an interesting, interesting, and I really think it is. It's, if I perceive your value to not your your wealth to not be deserved, and it's greater than mine, now you need to be taxed more. But it's it's back to this divisive nature, which then makes it political, or at least it's a political tool. Maybe it doesn't make it political, but it's used as a political tool because then we can say, let's target these voters over here that want to tax the rich because there's more of them. And they'll put me in office because they're a majority. You know what Pareto's principle is, right? Nope. The Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. Pareto's principle, right? So my amended version of the Pareto's principle or the 80-20 rule is 80% of people are fucking stupid. Um, the problem is they're still the majority. And in a democracy, they still rule, right? Mm-hmm. I told that to somebody one time. They said, I think you're uh, underestimating that number. I agree, too. <clears throat> I think you're underestimating it, too. <laughs> but that's just my kind of amended Pareto's principle. But th- this is actually why, in, in, in reality, democracy is not a functional governmental system, actually. Um, and and to, be, to be fair, there's no such thing as a functional governmental system. But let's. But there are hierarchies of functionalities to <laughs> systems, right. right? Right. Well, sure. Okay. Uh, I mean, you could say democracy is a higher level of functioning than communism, sure. right? Um, but in reality, commu- or, or democracy is really just a stepping stone to communism because mm-hmm. people end up just grabbing more and more and more and more power and. In, in, in effect, it, it turns out to be, if not in name, it turns out to be communism in effect. Mm-hmm. Like the U.S., as far as I'm concerned, the com- the U.S. is more or less a communist country at this point. It's just not, you know, nobody wants not to. Not publicly. <clears throat> no one wants to call it that. No one is running for the Communist Party in, in Washington. Everybody uses it as a marketing tool to be anti-communist. But if you look at really the way the government functions, I mean, it really is. It's it is a an elected communist party in reality. And both parties, absolutely. Well, so um, and completely looping back to um, why would someone become a nurse? You know, if money isn't the incentive. Well, I would I would agree. If you take money, I will. I would think that if you take money out of the equation, people start pursuing things um, because they like. To care for people, I there's truly people who like to make people better. Just like the idea used to be, right? If you want to help a better society, you go with the police. That's absolutely inaccurate, right? Because, <laughs> because right. we have a whole system. But that used to be the original intent. I want to make people better. I want to help society, right? That's why I'm pursuing XYZ career. But with the with with people like the you know the, the big riches um first of all this whole idea that you know jeff bezos is worth what something 100 billion right now i don't know something 120 billion or something like that 
people actually believe that he has those hundreds of billions in his bank account. That's a, that's a, that's a hell of a Bank of America checking account, right? Right. So even so we start wrong there with not understanding what net worth, et cetera, means. Like, second of all, they, they meaning, you know, an Amazon, a Facebook, they operate world fucking wide. So when you go like, hey, you know, they are should be taxed more so they can help the American system. What the fuck does, you know, what does East Europe have to do with, with you know, providing financial? Right. What is Mexico? Mexico is a huge market for Amazon, right? What does Mexico have to do with American know, system? American system. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. I know. The, the tax, the tax, the rich thing is <coughs> it, it's mind blowing. Oh, let me let me rewind back to the nurse thing. You're absolutely right. Right. So some people do want to be nurses. Some people, you know, because they have that instinct to to mm-hmm. care, care for people and heal. That's what they want to do. But we live in a society, in a system that requires us to pay for stuff with money, right? And so there are other ways you can, like, for example, in in Latvia, let's say you can be a nurse and make a thousand euros a month, right? You can just become a nurse and move to Germany, double or triple your income. You can still care for society, care for people, and double and triple your income. Two and three grand is still not that much, but it's better than in Latvia, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or you can move to, you know, the UK and, and even more probably than Germany, triple, quadruple your income. Um, so we still live in a, in a society where we have financial incentive to to do certain things. And you can there's alternative ways to, you know, do what you want to do, but get rewarded more, more highly for it. And that's, that was my point with the, the socialized medicine system or the single payer healthcare system. The problem in general with a single payer healthcare system is the workers in the system aren't very well rewarded because there's so much inefficiency that a lot of the money goes to administrators and not to the service providers. Mm-hmm. And we saw that during the the pandemic, right? Where we had every essential, pandemic. yeah, pandemic. <laughs> I'm doing air quotes here. That you know, what absolutely fucking baffled me is that again, an external party decided what was essential, and I'm just like, why are these essential workers going to job with a one dollar raise? I would set the fucking world on fire, not go. What you mean? I'm essential, but I'm still working for minimum wage. Are y'all on crack? Is that how much essential I am? But yeah, I mean, like, oh, okay. well, yeah, you know, well, that that just brings up a, a, a another side topic here. Of course, this mm-hmm. is pretty much what we do anyway, I guess. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, just, just like in the states right now, we have this huge, huge debate or this huge issue. Not even it's not even a debate actually. We have this huge issue where uh, if you're a healthcare worker and you're not vaccinated, you lose your job. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all of a sudden, we're in a global pandemic the world hasn't seen since the Spanish flu, and we're going to lay off half the healthcare workers. And seems look, like a luxury. Yeah, it seemed like a luxury, and also there's a little bit of an odd nuance there that 
why are half the healthcare workers refusing to take uh, a vaccine? Um, I don't know. It seems pretty weird to me that that you've got half the entire industry of healthcare workers saying, "Yeah, no, no, thanks. We don't, we don't want this experimental." And I'm willing to lose my job over. Yeah, and I'm willing to lose my job, which, by the way, in the states is a relatively high-paying job. Uh, sure. I would. I, my problem always is when I hear uh, what the bills are for, like you know, the medical school. Like it absolutely like baffles me, right? That those are numbers beyond my comprehension. Oh no, yeah, it's crazy. Even nursing, even nursing. Yeah. Like you know, you go to school. I think here you have to have a bachelor's degree, and then you have to go to nursing school after. So it's at least six years, if I'm not mistaken, to become a nurse here. So even if you go to you know a state school, you end up spending. 30, 40 grand a year times six years. I mean, you're two, $250,000 in, in, you know, in education expense to become a nurse. And then you get out and, you know, you can make okay money, but still I think nurses start at around 40 or 50,000, which is not great for that kind of <clears throat> expense up front. I mean, they can work their way up and after a few years. But just no, just no, <laughs> right. just no. Right. If we're talking about a reward system, right, with a monetary incentive, just no. I mean, I I say the same thing about doctors. I don't care. Like you you can go to school. I mean, you go to bachelor's degree and you're 10 to maybe 12 years in school before you're actually an income producing doctor. I mean, if you do the normal path straight to college out of high school, you're at least 30 years old before you actually start making any money. And now Mm -hmm. you've got hundreds of thousands in debt you know, absolutely hundreds of thousands Wild. In debt. you're not even you you can't even conceivably pay that off until you're in your 40s so in reality you don't even start making money till you're already 40. and that's in the most optimal situation you can only pay that off if your washing machine never breaks if you get a car from your parents right like <laughs> right. this is the most <laughs> optimal situation um what I would like for you to elaborate on is that people have this, these again, these simplified Twitter phrase-like calculations. Hey, this is the national debt, and you know this is how much uh, how much money would come in if we would tax the rich people. And you know, see, it solves all the solution. Like, right, solves- right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah, so we got national debt of X trillion dollars, and if we raise tra- taxes by a trillion, we pay it off in four years. Problem solved, right? Simple math. <laughs> it's just because people forget about incentives. People forget about, they don't forget. They just don't understand economics. They don't have a comprehension of economics. Economics is, you know, ultimately economics is the study of human behavior and the choice, why we make the choices we do, right? And economics. the reason people not understanding economics is why we have fucking tyrant um, governments. Yeah. That's the only fucking reason. Well, they understand economics. The government yeah, we fucking do. know. <laughs> Just the people don't. But yeah, the you know, I mean, you say, okay, let's just raise taxes on on the wealthy. That'll that'll solve all all the problems, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And and actually that gets worse and worse as time progresses because our technology improves. And so 
you can easily like now it's not there's not a huge marginal cost for somebody. If you raise taxes 10 percent, they might say, eh, fuck it, I'm out. Right. I mean, we see it even within the U.S. You see migration amongst states. You see New Yorkers or Californians. New Yorkers go to Florida. Californians go to what? Texas. Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you see it within the states. They they do a marginal increase, like even in Arizona. Um, Arizona raised their top top level income tax rate from like three percent to eight percent last year. I know a ton of people that moved to uh, Nevada and Utah. Same, yeah. <clears throat> um, you you probably know a lot of these same people that moved to Nevada and Utah <laughs> um, because of this. Um, or, or and they don't like regulators. Don't they just it. It's not that they don't necessarily understand it. It's that they're catering to the people who vote, who are dumb enough to vote for it so that they can stay in office. Because ultimately, the government gets the majority of its money through uh, uh, monetary inflation, you know, loose monetary policies where they can just print print money and make themselves rich. Right. The closer you are to that that bullseye of the money printing you know, the more the more benefit you get from it. So they they basically tell this story. You know what? We're going to raise taxes on the rich. The majority of people are like, yay, go do it. Right. And we're voting for you to raise the taxes on the rich because those are the bad people and they need to pay. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like we, you look we, at it like this, like they, there's always the argument that uh, the you know, the high school teacher pays uh, a higher percentage of her income in taxes than Warren Buffett, right? Okay, so maybe her tax rate is 20% and Warren Buffett's is 10%. Hmm, let's see, 20% of $40,000 is $4,000, right? 20%, no, no, no. $8,000. $8,000. Yes. Yeah. 20% of $40,000 is $8,000. Warren Buffett pays, well, whatever I said, 10%, I think. 10%. Warren Buffett makes, I don't know, who knows, $50 million a year or whatever he makes. And he pays 10% is $5 million. I mean, it, it's, it's like anything in statistics. You can manipulate numbers to make them say what you want, and then you build a headline around it that that sucks in the weakest-minded people. Warren Buffett pays $50 million in taxes. The teacher pays 8000 Who really pays more? Hmm. And again, who is in control of the fucking distribution? And why, if we disagree with the distribution, which we first will have to understand it, um, my, my, my absolute go-to is in somewhere in Cali, they lost $800 million. And they literally just go like, oh, yeah, we lost it. And everyone's like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> nobody actually I, cares. And this is it, right? It becomes like virtue signaling. And um, we have to look at all these meanings. American Marxism, Marxism, right? Them, the bad guys, versus us, the good people. And yep. they got there because they go over dead bodies. They abuse everyone. What? Meanwhile, meanwhile, I, I I yelled that into the void of the internet, but I also I yelled it on the void of the internet of Facebook, but I also make sure that my 
Amazon pocket packages come within a day. <laughs> like I hate the successful, but also let me order quickly something on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's always the meme, right? Of the, the, you know, the, the hipster Gen Z girl sitting at the, the, the Starbucks on her iPhone 12, you know, with her, Armani purse and her brand new MacBook Air on her lap, you know, writing anti anti capitalist posts on Facebook. Right? There's always those silly memes, you know. There's that's like the standard meme, right? And I love it because you you can't get one, you 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 can't complain about one when you benefit from it. I don't know, but what what do you think? I'm just curious. What do you think the solutions are? To this nonsense, because obviously taxing the rich doesn't work. We can tax the rich more. We can tax the rich less. We can tax the middle class more. We can tax them less. None of that works because ultimately what happens? The government is going to fucking misuse every fucking penny we give them, whether we give them more or less. They're going to fucking misuse all of it. Absolutely. Right. So my dystopian answer I have a utopian and dystopian, and I have a realistic answer. My dystopian answer is... like this. Set the fucking White House on fire. And I'm going to be like the French, who... There's a meme about this, too, right? Where the French are looking at the Americans, and the French go, Why is this happening? Why no one is on fire yet, right? And I'm like, Mm. how do they expect change? And that's a... I think there's, there's something in there where... You know, everyone likes to yell because they get their dopamine and they get, you know, their connection with their fellow misery people. But no one likes to actually do anything. Um, On a realistic scale, I wonder if we can even come to a solution because coming to a solution would require us to agree on certain things and morals. And we will never get there. (laughs) And... um, uh, um, last week, but also a few years ago, they, an article came out that you um, that ninety percent of the biggest Christian Facebook groups are ruled by Russian troll factories, <laughs> right? So That's where cool. and I fucking love it. And you know, people went into like the interviews with like, hey, how does how does it how would how does it go? You know, working at a troll factory, and they you know and they make these big groups, infiltrate them, then spew mm-hmm. like spew some like nonsense, and everyone jumps on the nonsense. No one fact checks. No one rationally thinks more division. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, um, and speaking of the United States, I think it's so far divided. I don't think something a solution can come to it. Unless we all start to get, again, this this is the utopian. If we all all of a sudden decide we need to get involved, we need to get educated, uh, we need to take control, we need to take responsibility of life and how we move through it, I don't think there's a realistic solution. And even even, um, we've had this conversation online several times too, right? Like I think... Living, especially living in the West, your existence harms someone else, right? Having a phone, you know, there's an avocado war going on right now in Latin America where people are killing each other over avocado trees because the the demand is so high in the United States, right? There's nothing, the the ability to live harm-free is impossible. I don't know, yeah. 
<laughs> at this point. That's funny. Yeah, I, I remember <clears throat> me and uh, my my lovely offspring, Ashton, had this conversation the other day because she called me up, right? And she's with uh, a friend of hers who is um, – he's a videographer. Um, and so she called me. She was in L.A. And she called me, her and Oscar, on a video chat, you know, with, with WhatsApp, video chat. And they were both sitting there eating uh, Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwiches, right? And she's very big in the – uh, the gay community. That's a huge audience for her music and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> she probably wouldn't even like me talking about this on a, on a, a radio show, but, or a, a podcast show, because she's like, dad, don't, don't tell anybody. Um, we don't want to be ostracized by our community, but damn it. Me and Oscar just love, you know, Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwiches, but we don't want to give them up just for our morals because we don't want to eat at Chick-fil-A. Cause you know, Chick-fil-A is very pro-Christian and you know, they've made some, let's say anti-gay comments in the past and stuff like that. And I thought it was pretty funny. And it reminded me years ago, I stopped eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream because I didn't like some of the things they, they they were using company money to contribute to certain political campaigns that I didn't mm-hmm. agree with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a stand and stop eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I'm going to show them. And then I stopped, I don't know, for a few months, maybe a year or something like that. And then I'm, I remember being at the grocery store and I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I love Chunky Monkey. I just love Chunky Monkey ice cream. And my $4 makes no fucking difference whatsoever. And so back to your point. Everything we do hurts somebody. So and well, you could only I'm going to enjoy my chunky monkey and my daughter enjoy her spicy chicken sandwich. Fuck it. And there we go. Like we would, re- we it would require <clears throat> full unity, right? If like hundred percent of the consumers would be like, "Yo, I'm not doing Chick Fil A anymore," then perhaps it would incite any change. First of all, disclaimer: I'm not inciting any violence. Do not set the White House on fire. Disclaimer. This was more a symbolism of, you know, we need radical, perhaps violence, but activity to make a change. Um, and 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 coming back to your Ben and Jerry example, what people, <laughs> I make this joke all the time and I think it's hilarious. You know, what people think is happening when they say like, I'm not going to be shopping on Amazon. They think that Jeff Bezos will be sitting in the corner in fetus position. <laughs> oh my God, you know, Andrea's, you know, is not giving her... What in realistic happens is when profits go down significantly and production is that the lower and working class is going to get fired and people who live paycheck to paycheck are going to feel it the, the worst. Right. You know, another point on Amazon, I, I'll bring this up. People talk about how Amazon mistreats its workers. That's such bullshit. Actually, Amazon is one of the highest paying oh, average. They're, they're one of the highest paying companies in the U S for like their average, like, like kind of blue collar workforce, they pay more than almost anybody else. And so I think it's funny. They say, Oh, Amazon mistreats its workers. Like we would have to define these terms first. Cause do I, so do I think um, even for hotel rooms, just random hotel rooms, when I hear that cleaning ladies have to clean three hotel rooms within an hour to hit their target, Bitch, I don't even clean my bedroom in one hour and I just have one bed. Like, 
Is that realistic? I don't know. But I also want my bedroom to be fucking clean when I get to a hotel. <laughs> so, right? so do I do I do I do I think it's fair, quote unquote, to that Amazon workers have a unrealistic target? Absolutely not. Do I have Amazon Prime? Fuck yeah, baby. <laughs> and god damn it, I pay for Prime. I want that two day free shipping and better fucking be here before noon. Better fucking be here. (laughs) And in order for it to be here by noon, someone's going to have to work really hard. Right. Yeah. Or hire more people or whatever the solution is. Right. But we, if we going to use all these abstract terms, like, Hey, you know, misuse or abuse. Okay, cool. And then what? And now what? How am I contributing to that? How how can I? Yeah. It's just. So I'm I'm going to answer my own question now that you answered mm-hmm. your dystopian, mm-hmm. realistic, and utopian. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'll start with realistic. Okay. Realistic is I don't think we'll see any significant change in the short run because, and I don't mean only in the states. I mean globally because. I can't even like, you know, I can't even get like, I want to go to dinner with my wife. We can't even decide on which restaurant to go to sometimes. And there's only fucking two of us to agree on this. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're like, no, I want tacos. No, I want sushi. Mm, I don't want sushi. I don't want, ta-, you know, like we can't even agree mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. on this, which is ridiculous. I when you think about it, because everyone should always want tacos, <laughs> whatever. You know, I think it's ridiculous that people don't always want tacos. Um, <laughs> silliness. The answer um, is always tacos. What, if, if I ask you about tacos, it's yes. It's always yes. yes. <laughs> um, but, like, we can't even decide sometimes on where we're going to go to dinner. How can you expect a country of 300 million or, like, Germany, a country of 80 million, or even Latvia, a country of 2 million, you can't get people to agree because guess what? We're all individuals. We're, we're raised in, in a different way, slightly different way by different parents in a different neighborhood with different views and morals and you know, all these things, right? So we have different viewpoints. <clears throat> it's not black and white. We can't be put into this party or this party, this religion or this religion or this perspective, or it's not binary. We can't be, we can't do that. And so from a realistic standpoint, I don't see any agreement coming to happen to, to make any realistic change in the short term. But realistically, what I do see, and actually history supports this, I see uh, more and more and more decentralization that's fueled by technology. Okay. And I don't mean, I don't mean just cryptocurrencies. I Mm -hmm. I definitely think this plays a major role in the future of humanity. But what I'm talking about, if you, if you go back to the year 1900, do you know how many countries there were in the world in 1900? Any clue? Approximately 100. Okay. Okay. There's approximately 100 countries on earth in the year 1900. Okay, and so 
Now, of course, it, and I say approximately because some countries recognize other countries and some yep, don't. Yep, yep, yep. You know, like the, you got in Cyprus, you got the TRNC, Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. You know, Turkey recognizes it, but Russia doesn't, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm saying approximately because it depends on who you're talking to. Taiwan is another example right now. Taiwan, China doesn't recognize Taiwan as a country. Taiwan kind of disagrees with that. Um, you're gonna you're gonna get us canceled here. We have to apologize. Yeah, well, I, I've I've been canceled so many times. It's uh, it's it's like ticking a box. I, I should be getting like free coffees now after my fifth cancelization, right? Um, and I'm on like fifty. So, um, like I should get like free pizzas, free coffee, you know, maybe a free donut here and there. But so. We're in a massive decentralization phase through throughout the past 120 years of history anyway, right? I mean, look at look at where you're you're originally from, right? That whole area used to be I mean, I guess that that kind of Eastern European and that Balkan area there was Yugoslavia at one point for the the vast majority of that region, right? And then it split, it split, it split or you got Soviet Union was what is now, I think, 26 countries. Absolutely. One, right? Even even the country that I, I was born in got split in two when I was four years old. Czechoslovakia. Right. We yep. have, now we have Czech Republic and we have Slovakia. Yep. So if you go back in history, we've seen, and, I mean, my God, you go, go pull up a map of Africa and look mm-hmm. at a, a 1900, a 1910, a 1920, and do that like every 10 years. And look how many times the lines get redrawn. So we, we're so myopic, myopic to think that things are as they are and they'll always be like that. We forget history. So 120 years ago, there was 100 countries on Earth. Today, there's about 200. Okay. That means all those lines have been redrawn so many times and all the, there's more and more lines making smaller and smaller and smaller countries. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ultimately, what I think is going to happen, we're going to continue that trend. And that's going to be accelerated and fueled by technology because technology gives, like, one of the things that ties people to a geography more than anything is their work. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Family also, but work. One of the things that ties people so tightly to their geography is their work. And mm-hmm. what is over the past 15, 20 years, work is becoming less and less tied to geography as technology improves and gets better and better and better. And mm-hmm. so now we're able to be more mobile. And COVID really proved that we're definitely, even if you are an employee of a big company and you used to go to that office every day, now all of a sudden, yeah, they don't care. They don't want you coming to the office. They want you working from home, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we have more mobility in our ability to work where we are. So that means we're less geographically tied, which mm-hmm. now means you've got geographies or, you know, uh, <clears throat> countries, states, cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, they have to actually, now they're going to have to actually be more aggressive to compete for residents, citizens, which, and residents. which you saw specifically during COVID. Exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. you did. Like, I, I don't, 
I mean, there's all types of examples of what happened there, but you got a lot of countries during COVID that actually started implementing these digital nomad visas, trying to attract people to come to the mm-hmm. country and work there because they know they can work remotely. Mm-hmm. And that's a bigger and bigger trend. So what I think is going to happen in a realistic sense in the longer term, and I don't mean like 50 years, I'm talking five to 10 years and more and more. I think you're going to see countries splitting up. I think eventually you'll see the United States split up into Texas finally leaving. <laughs> Texas been trying, I mean, they tried, they've been trying since 1863, yep. I think. Yep. Um, but eventually Texas will leave. I think in, in theory, you could have all 50 states separate out as mm-hmm. separate mm-hmm. countries or Agreed. probably more realistic. You probably have states grouped together. Mm-hmm. In the regions, and you could end up with eight or ten different countries out of the United States, which I think would also make more sense because you know, you, New York City, you can't compare that to fucking Montana. Absolutely not, and I, I totally think it makes sense. Absolutely, uh, the sooner it happens, the better. I, I could tell you right now. I could tell you right now, if Texas seceded, I would I would move to Texas and, mm-hmm. and get a Texas passport. Same. Same. Absolutely. I would do that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I would, I probably wouldn't live there full time. You know, I would sneak across the border. I'd, I'd hire the, the reverse coyote to send me back to Mexico, but, Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would have my, um, Texas passport quickly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I mean, in any of this, if, if, if Wyoming seceded, I would be like gone to Wyoming. Absolutely. I'd be I'd be in my RV and just go go drive to Wyoming and park in a campground and claim residency until I got my passport. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think this is going to be a major trend, and I think over the next ten to fifteen years, five to ten to fifteen years, we're going to see more and more splitting up. I think you're going to see it more so in bigger countries. The United States, for sure, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you even look in Europe, right? You've got uh, the Venezia region of northern Italy, they've been trying for years to split off. You got Catalonia. Belgium. Belgium has been trying to split into what? Three, three different countries for a while. Forever. Forever. You've got Catalonia, northern Spain has been trying to split off. <coughs> I mean, this is, this is pretty common. Like, and it's not an unusual thing. It's just fr- from, from our, Myopic perspective, we just think Spain is Spain. Spain can't split because during my lifetime, Spain has been Spain. We can't have Catalonia and Spain. Until you until you actually go to Barcelona and you hear people speaking Catalan and everyone and just like the whole difference. Is right. And you try like, to oh. speak Spanish and they're like. And they look like, like, what? No. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. So I think this is from a realistic perspective. I think this is what's going to happen. And I think. Mm-hmm. This is probably the best case scenario in the realistic sense of what can happen. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> the smaller an organization, whether it is a company, a country, a charity, whatever, the yeah. easier it is to manage because you have more Absolutely. direct control and direct management from the leadership. So, And, and the more you know, direct influence. Right. And there'll be a lot of pushback on it, of course, but I think this is probably your best case realistic thing that'll happen because also just imagine for a minute you've got in the U.S. now you have 50 countries instead of one country. You have 50. Mm -hmm. 
And now you've got 50 countries in close proximity to each other competing for residents, competing, you know, they make special programs. Like maybe Iowa really focuses on farming, and so they have special uh, incentives for farmers to move there and companies that sell farming equipment and technology around uh, food production. They have incentives for these companies to come there, whereas – Someplace like, I don't know, Texas or or the Dakotas, because they're heavy in, in oil and natural gas and, you know, those types of resources, they have special incentives for them. And they compete for that workforce and that labor force. And so you end up more specialized in that way. And they, they make incentives. And you say, well, you know what? Texas lowered its tax rate down to 10%. And I can get a job working in oil fields, making great money. I'm moving to Texas. Yes. So you end up competing. And <clears throat> on a, and just to like, because we um, in the West, we like in America, we like to like, look at Europe. Um, one of Europe's biggest mistakes they did is create a European Union. Absolutely. Because as per, per, you know, again, it got sold under all these like ideas. Um, and just to give a realistic example as someone from Czech Republic, um, what the European Union did, and I'm simplifying this extremely just so to make it comprehensible to the listeners, not to you, but um, they kind of made these rules like, hey, in France, everyone has to get their cheese from France or whatever. And um, the Germany makes all these things. What happened is that all the smaller companies in Czech Republic went bankrupt because now they were forced to get their import and export. In right, countries. right, right. Which is, you can't like in the, let's say that, you know, because um, and it, we got the euro, which is also not everywhere implemented, thank God, because that's going to be the death of East Europe. Um, but again, all like, no, we need more separation as nations, not com- combination. Absolutely not. We need more separation. Because then yeah. you can build on the nation's strength of the geographic and the people and the culture, et cetera, instead of, you know, making it a one big umbrella and be like, oh, one rule fits all. Absolutely the fuck not. The, the, the problem is and there are some benefits to the European Union in that sense, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like open borders and the, the rights of establishment within the European sure. Union. So if you're from Czech Republic and you want to go move to Portugal, you can easily move there, get a job working. It simplifies the process. Those yes. are benefits. But mm-hmm. then the downside of some of that stuff is the regulations that sweep across all 28 member states. Exactly. But you can't have the same – like there was one I read that was just ridiculous. It Like just the silliness of it was like um, EU – there was EU regulations on the size of apples that could be exported. Like the actual diameter of an apple that could be yep. exported. And so only like Spain and maybe Portugal and – I don't know, like that area met the requirements. Therefore, only Spain and Portugal were able to produce apples, whereas mm-hmm. let's say Latvia has perfectly fine apples, but mm-hmm. they were, let's say, one centimeter too small for export, and it destroyed yep. the, the the apple farmer's business in Latvia, even though their apples were completely fine. They yep. couldn't export any apples because their fucking apples were one centimeter too small. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of silliness like that because you say 
sweeping regulations across 28 countries don't, they just don't make sense. Um, the currency thing, I'm on the fence with the currency thing. Um, of course, I hate central banking in general. Mm-hmm, the ECB mm-hmm. is a piece of shit, just like the Fed and the Bank of Japan and the Bank of England and all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but one good thing about the, the, the equalization of the currency, or I guess there's what, 19 countries have the, the euro. One good thing is it does make it easier for companies to do business across borders sure. because it simplifies their bookkeeping and accounting procedures. Mm-hmm. But, but on the flip side, again, I hate central banking and I'm looking forward to the day we go full crypto. Um, yeah. You know, like it would like the U, the European Union is is a, a a great example of what could be if they would get rid of all the sweeping just, regulations. Just on paper, just as an idea. Right. Yeah, they'd have to sweep away all these blanket regulations um, that cover everything because, you know, like that example, like you said, it killed all the Czech uh, exporters because they didn't meet a requirement that, or they weren't allowed to export cheese. And, you know, Latvia couldn't export apples because they're one mm-hmm. centimeter too small or something like that. So it just it fucked everything up when none of that actually needed to happen. There we go. It like and eventually, eventually, because we, we do have a massive debt crisis globally, mm-hmm. we have a massive public debt, private debt, everything. And mm-hmm. so this is my dystopian answer. Everything mm-hmm. fucking collapses. It all collapses it's, it's going to happen. That sounds amazing, actually, to me. But yes, that is the dystopian answer: mm-hmm. is that we're going to have a major debt crisis because right now, <clears throat> I know we are like going really long, but you know, it is what it is. No, we have time. We have time. Pe- people can hang up whenever they feel like it. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, essentially, I, I have a, 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 a you know shocker. I have a view on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so governments are allowed to end up with massive public debt, like government debt, because uh, the bit, let's put it this way, the bigger the country it is, the less fiscally responsible they can be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's actually a, a mathematical and an economic reason for this because, and I'll give you a comparison. Germany can sell German government bonds, one-year bonds, five-year bonds, 10-year bonds, whatever. They can sell them on the financial markets because they have 80 million citizens, and Germany does a very good job, and I say good job from the government sense, not my perspective, but they're efficient at collecting taxes from German citizens. Mm-hmm. So because of their efficiency on collecting taxes, it gives them status in the global financial markets as a safe government bond to buy because of this ability to collect taxes allows them to pay the interest on that government debt, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they're a big country. Or the U.S., the U.S. primarily is the reserve currency of the world because we have – not only does the U.S. have 300-plus million people – but it also has a relatively efficient uh, tax office that, that collects 
taxes on its workers to satisfy the interest payments on that government debt. So whenever, and you know, who, the people that buy government bonds, they're not like you and I don't buy government bonds. Who buys government bonds are sovereign wealth funds, uh, hedge funds use, use them, you know, large hedge funds and mutual funds use it as cash reserves because <clears throat> cash reserves if you're a if you're a hedge fund with a couple extra billion laying around and you need to park it somewhere while you find the next opportunity, you don't just put two billion dollars in your Wells Fargo checking account, right? Exactly. You buy government bonds, and you don't go buy uh, Greece or Greek government bonds, or you don't go buy Lithuanian government bonds or Estonian government bonds because these countries are so tiny. They don't have very good infrastructure and much capacity to collect the taxes on their citizens. They're not very efficient at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why Greek bonds are, if there are any, the interest rates are so crazy high. But that means Greece can't access these financial markets to sell bonds, which basically monetizes their own debt. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They can't print money by selling government bonds mm-hmm. because no one wants it. Yeah. But Germany can do it. The U S mm-hmm. can do it. The UK mm-hmm. can do it. France can do it. Cause they're all big countries that are efficient at collecting taxes. Right. And so the larger the country is the less fiscally responsible it needs to be because it can always monetize debt by selling government bonds. Okay. That's why I think ultimately splitting these countries up, is going to be your best realistic case scenario because then it puts them more on equal footing in a competitive sense. But from a dystopian perspective, like U.S. government debt, the European, all the European country government, well, most of the European country government, especially like the big ones like Germany, France, mm-hmm. Italy, Spain, they'll never be paid. They can't be paid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally impossible. It only takes a little bit of a shake to the market's to collapse that entire system. I mean, we, we, we almost saw it in 2008. We did see, you know, a very sketchy, very scary system. But what did we do in 2008? We monetized more debt. There we go. Huge. I mean, in, in my opinion, <clears throat> at the time, at, the, at that time, President Bush... W. Bush, GW, was the worst president in U.S. history. But what did we do? We elected Obama, who clearly became the worst president in U.S. history. He made George W. Bush look like a child, <laughs> like not in the intelligence sense, but like a beginner. He made D- George W. Bush look like a beginner because from an economic standpoint, he monetized more debt in his eight years than the country he created more government debt in his eight years than every president in history combined ever created total. Now, then, then we went and elected, you know, what, what, what was I calling him? Uh, baby orange hands or (laughs) orange baby hands or something like that. We, we elected Trump. Right. And, and in his four years, he created more debt than, than Obama did in his eight Hmm. And now we elected absolutely 
<laughs> the most fucking human being on the pla- on the on the face of the planet, Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and his his the evilest person as a vice president, Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, she literally in the entire Democratic Party, they literally picked the most evil person they could have to put in there. Mm-hmm. She is a disgusting human being. I don't know if you know much about her, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, I, I you just it's hard to imagine like. Just the leaders of the the DNC going, you know what? That Kamala chick, she looks good. Let's take her. Like, yeah. And we and this is the thing. Um, we need to in in a real life setting, we need to move away of what the internet made these people look out to be. Right? Obama blackmail, diversity, social health care, whatever. That's not all it was. <laughs> so, and then Trump being, he's a racist, right? And while some of these things might be absolutely true, we need to move away from the absolutes. First of all, I think that the next, that what Joe Biden, what Biden did last, like this year, we're going to have such a monstrous Republican president after this. Oh, God. Yeah. He's going to, the next president is going to make Trump and all the other Republicans look like a walk in the park. <clears throat> No shit. That's that's for one. But what with with these like you know again saying like you know Trump is a oh racist for sure for forever. sure he is creating a Republican monster no no doubt absolutely no absolutely even Democrats right now are looking at Biden yep. going holy fucking what? shit what did I do yep. <laughs> but we need to move away from these absolute and again this binary thinking Trump is racist you know Obama is good because he was black we yes we can all agree inclusion diversity. Fuck yeah, but we also need to understand that having just one president rule such a big fucking nation, we, this is the thing, I think, especially coming from Europe, you know, America's being depicted as this racially war, you know, the white people are marching in the streets, shooting all the black people, um, you know, every, every male is groping females' pussies, like, that's not what the world is. The internet makes it look like that, but that's not, is there racism? Absolutely. Is there sexism? Absolutely. But I do think in the end, everyone just wants to have, live a happy and fulfilled life. Now it becomes a complex conversation when we are like, when we have to make decisions based on our proximity to our problems. Now, if Trump, for example, had a positive or a helpful stance to me personally in regards to taxes, but he had a, you know, a, a, a harmful stance on uh, immigration. I might go for Trump because his his what he's solving is closer to me. Right. The result you get, he could be the most racist motherfucker on earth, but he still helped me. Right. Is that what you're saying? That, well, that's that's the notion. So I'm not racist because you know I would vote for what no but I'm I'm voting for him because he's going to help me directly and I right. think that's the problem with having such a big nation with such a diversity you know geographic diversity and cultural diversity to have one fucking person it makes no sense right <clears throat> well that it's you know ultimately it's not one person right ultimately no, sure. it, it's it's a huge group but we we put it on one yes. person and the, and like in Biden's case right now I mean come on the guy clearly has dementia, early stage Alzheimer's. He's clearly not making any actual choices. He's he's a puppet. He's got handlers that 
that are using him as a as a figurehead for the party. I mean, obviously, if you watch any interviews of Biden, the guy the guy can't survive without his note cards or his uh, uh, what do you call them teleprompters. So obviously, he's not in in and of itself. Biden is not bad or good. He's just a figurehead, right? Mm-hmm. Trump was a different animal, though, right? Trump, because he wasn't really, he wasn't really controlled by anybody. He wasn't a career politician who was, mm-hmm. that. Was, that's what made him a little bit scary. Like, I, I remember yeah. when, when he got elected, I remember thinking, this is going to be a fun four years. I mean, this dude is either going to be the greatest president in history or we're going to war with China. Like, yep. one or the other, like, he's he's going to be wacky crazy somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're 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 right. Like the we can't focus so much on a figure. So I'll, I'll move on it because I'll tell you what my my utopian answer is, and this is what I think most people should do. But back to the dystopian thing. Dystopian thing is we actually end up finally defaulting on government debt because the because what's going to happen? The way you default on government debt is nobody wants to buy it. And we're already in that state. So if you look at when the U.S. Treasury Department issues, because they do every week, they sell government bonds every week, every week, every week. So when you look at when they do a government bond issue, you look at who the buyers of those government bonds are. Right now, the biggest buyer of those government bonds is the Federal Reserve. Okay. It's the snake eating its tail. Okay, so the biggest buyer of those bonds is Federal Reserve. Well, how does the Federal Reserve have all that money to buy billions of dollars of bonds every week? Tens of billions. Yes. How? They do this. They create zeros on a screen and then they transfer those zeros over to the Treasury Department. So that's how we monetize debt is we create the money out of thin air and use the money to buy government debt. So then the government can trickle that money out to pay its bills, its defense contracts, it can pay, you know, its, you know, employees, you know, all this stuff, the millions of government employees. So the way we're going to end up with a default is basically people are going to stop using the dollar. They're just going to stop. Because effectively, you can't have a true default if you print your own money, because you can always print your money, pay off the bet, pay off the bill. Print the money, pay off the bill. But all that does, it just creates massive, massive, massive. I mean, we're already seeing it, right? I mean, in the past 12 months, food prices in the U.S. are already up 25%. Wood? Can we talk about the wood? Yeah, all of it. The fucking lumber prices are skyrocketed, skyrocketed. Wild. Yeah, used cars. A friend of mine, um, like, uh, like two months ago, right? He had a two, let's see. 2018 Chevy, uh, like three quarter ton diesel truck. Okay. He had bought it used in 2019, two years ago. He bought it used. It was one year, one year old when he bought it used. He paid, uh, $46,000 for it used, one year old used truck, relatively low mileage at the time. In two years, he put about a hundred thousand miles on the truck. Okay. It's a work truck. He uses it for work. And he put almost 100,000 miles on the truck in two years. And he sold that truck two months ago for $54,000. 
$8,000 more than he paid and 100,000 miles later, and he made $8,000 on the truck. Why does that happen? Because the flood of cash, I mean, that's one of the reasons. There's another reason for cars. But the flood of money into the marketplace from the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department. So we have we already have massive inflation. I don't know what the numbers on lumber is is nutty. I'd hate to be I'd hate to be trying to build a house right now. If I if I was building a house, I'd probably build it out of concrete right now. Dude, I had a uh, a private uh, decorate interior designer. I hired her, and she's like, "Well," and I wanted like a custom made bookcase. I I could have might as well just sacrificed my firstborn. That's how expensive it was. I think that would have been still. You're, you're like, all right, all right. Take exactly. Take, take it here. Take it here. Yeah. Right. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like lumber prices are are astronomical. So ultimately, we're not. You, you can't exactly have a government a, a default of government debt because the government just prints more money to pays off their own debt. The only way this happens is when people say, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not using dollars anymore. And what's happened in the past 12 years? Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies, it is a market answer because the market always solves the problem. Whether the government likes it or not, the market always Mm -hmm. solves the problem. The market came up with a solution for a new form of money, and it's happening. It's happening. And people are doing it. So, and I think it's hugely beneficial, a huge, it's a tremendous opportunity because crypto is actually the first time in human history where we've been able to, as you know, normal people, because normally when there's an economic crisis, usually economic crisis takes the, the, the one percenters and makes them richer, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. a transition of wealth out of the hands of the lower and middle class into the upper but we have the ability now to transition this wealth into the lower middle class because cryptocurrency we we can control it right we we can control it with our own private wallets our own servers our own equipment Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so i think we have a tremendous opportunity now while we're still in a transitional period to to gradually move our wealth out of dollars and buy crypto but eventually this goes away Eventually, this goes away because at some point, all your n- nobody's going to want to sell crypto for dollars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nobody's going to want to say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll sell you my Bitcoin for dollars," because nobody actually wants the dollars. Mm-hmm. So right now, we have an opportunity to do this. Anyway, this is my dystopian answer. Um, it kind of a little bit ties into my utopian answer, but the utopian answer, to be honest, is. We're individuals. The only answer is an individual answer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have to take personal responsibility for our own actions and our own results. We have to take personal responsibility. We got to stop relying on, you know, some new piece of legislation that helps us. Or uh, we got to stop relying on a policeman to all, uh, finally become a moral human being and stop beating us up at traffic stops. We got to rely on go. our own self. 
I, I hate police. I've had two cops point a gun in my face for traffic stops. And people tell me it's always like the cop thing is a racial issue. I don't know. I'm as white as it gets. I've had two cops put a gun in my face for traffic stops before. I didn't feel racial racial at all about it. Um, so I, especially the I think cops. It's a cop issue. <laughs> you know, I fully fully agree on that. Um, I do think there's a there's a there's a hierarchy in who gets perhaps target more, but we don't need to get into trauma. That could be true. Yeah. But what is the problem is that we are being sold the idea that you know cops are here to protect us, right? It says the phrase. Even so, meanwhile, they have financial targets to hit. Did you know? So the- <laughs> did you know cops actually? There was a constitutional ruling a couple of years ago that they do not have, a, not a constitutional ruling, a Supreme Court ruling where they do not have a legal obligation to protect civilians. I'm not at this point. I'm not even. Surprised. There was a court ruling because there there was a. I think it was somewhere in the South. There was a, a situation where um, there was a shooting. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people got killed and there were cops on site, but the cops didn't do anything about it. The mm-hmm. cops just kind of stayed back and kind of watched it happen. And mm-hmm. so the survivors um, and the families of the people that died sued the police department for not doing anything. They sued them for not taking action. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that the police actually don't have an obligation to protect the people. They don't have any legal obligation to do that and i thought no shit not only not only do we we kind of know that instinctively anyway but now our own court system has confirmed it yeah they're like yeah and i know in i if i remember correctly in 2012 a bill finally air quotes passed where um Police and authority is not allowed to rape their prisoners. We made that a bill. Like, we made that a law. Well, like, uh, in, in New York, not, right. not in all states, not in all states, somewhere in New England. I'm thank, like, thank goodness, right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, one, that's one of those things, like, was it really so bad we had to make a law for it? Thank you. It's kind of, it's kind of like the thing in, in, in is, I think it's Tennessee, where you're not allowed to have sex with a horse. Like, how many times did that that need to happen before we made a rule against it? <laughs> yep. And also, it's I, anyone who listens, if you want to have a laugh, I highly recommend to researching the most ridiculous laws in the United States. I remember, I, if I'm correctly, in California, you are on Sunday not allowed to ride a horse topless on the boulevard or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yes, there, there. It is pretty funny. There's some ridiculous ones. Let me let me real quick go back. So my my uh, utopian solution is take responsibility for yourself a hundred percent, or as close as you can get to a hundred percent. Take full responsibility of yourself. Stop relying on a, a new law, a new president, a new mayor, a new governor, a boss to take care of you. If you get fired from your job. Then move on and go get another job. Start your own business. But ultimately, take responsibility. And the biggest thing you can do ultimately to take responsibility for your life and your livelihood is to actually work for yourself. If you have a job, fine. Get a side hustle where you are the one in control of that income stream. At least... 
you maybe if you make 50 grand a year and you have a side hustle making a thousand bucks a month, yeah, it doesn't replace your lifestyle. Um, but you have something that you have full control over that income stream where you are a hundred percent in control. To me, it's, it, you really need to have control of certain aspect, really ideally all of them, a hundred percent of your life. But there's certain things I think we're a little bit out of control of. Like if I, if I invest money in the stock market, uh, I can control a little bit how I allocate my resources, mm-hmm. but I can't control what those companies do. Mm-hmm. You know, like something can crash for sure or the market can crash. So I can't have full control, but take full responsibility of that. I think take full responsibility of how you live your life and where you live your life and think about maybe where you're living and how you're living is not actually ideal to having full control of your life. Maybe you do need to sit down and rethink some things like <coughs> Maybe living in California is not the best solution. Maybe you need to move to Wyoming or maybe you need to move to a whole nother country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't be so fearful of that. And then the other thing is I really do think from a utopian perspective, cryptocurrency is one of our salvations. Absolutely. Blockchain technology and cryptocurrency really is one of our salvations here because it is a currency that we can control. Yes, I know a lot of people say, oh, but it's, you know, in the cloud and somebody can go in and take control. But that just means they don't understand what, you know, decentralized um, currency means. Like, yes, they can contain that somebody could go burn down a mine with a million computers in it, but there's 10 million more that run the same blockchain simultaneously. Um, so anyway, these are some of my utopian, or not, yeah, my utopian ideas. And to emphasize and amplify or on your cryptocurrency, um, I would love for any listener to question themselves. If you feel perhaps, you know, that a government got out of control, if you feel that an Amazon got out of control in regards to how much they control, if you feel that all these external things got out of control, question how you got there. And if you feel any, um, like, yucky feeling towards crypto, of course you feel that because that's what's being told to you. Um, Bobby always used the example, ask any taxi company how they feel about Uber. Ask any hotel how they feel about Airbnb. Ask any banker how they feel about crypto. And they will all tell you these like fearful, horrible scenarios. Do your own research. Understand what it what is going on, what's happening. So it doesn't happen passively to you in the future. Right. So you don't find yourself in a place asking, how the fuck did I get here? Well, think about incentives too. Right. Economic incentives, <clears throat> you know, on, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but think of the COVID topic. Why are we being forced so strongly to get a vaccine that's only been authorized for emergency use and it's really still in the experimental drug phase? Why do we have countries around the world requiring you to have an experimental drug to enter the country or to even go indoors? What is the reason? What, think about this from an incentive perspective. What is their incentive for having you meet a certain requirement, which is really unrealistic if you think about it. If, if you really, if you filter out all the noise and you just think about it, like, you know, I saw a meme on Facebook. Imagine 
imagine you had a 99.9% chance of surviving cancer and you had to take chemo and you were legally required mm-hmm. to take chemotherapy anyway. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't that seem a little bit ridiculous? And yeah, I know chemotherapy makes you sick and makes your hair fall out and all that stuff. So it's not exactly the same as. It's about the regulation that we're talking and comparing it to. We're not talking about all the side effects. We're talking about the regulation. Correct. Co- co- correct. Yeah. Um, and so think about the incentives, why we're being told or why there is anytime somebody tries to convince me to do something, either through coercion or force, I want to figure out why do they want to do that? There we go. What are they gaining from it? What is their relationship and dynamic to the thing they're trying to coerce me into? What is what is the yeah. long goal, short term? All of these questions. So no, it's not again. I'm not doing this to dwell on COVID because this is only it's just an, a great example. It's just, it's an, just example. an example. But yeah. So why, why would I be coerced or forced into doing? What is their incentive? And because. It's very unlikely that their incentive is actually to benefit me. Very unlikely. Because, I mean, we're all selfish people. We're all Mm -hmm. humans. Mm -hmm. It's human nature to be selfish. So we all kind of watch out for ourselves first. And, you know, and then those close to us, family and friends. And then the proximity. But the farther you're out of that proximity circle, the less I care about you. Yes. And if I mean, it's just reality. Right. Like I have no love for a guy named Joe that lives in Oregon because I don't even know him. So why why do I I mean, he's a human being and I can empathize with him as through humanity. But like if Joe gets shot tomorrow, eh, I don't care. Nor do you have any feelings on an individual scale to the children who make your fucking iPhone? Of course, if we're going to discuss the moral and the ethics, no, I don't want no child to work in horrendous uh, circumstances, <laughs> laboring away, wanting to kill themselves for my iPhone. Yet I have an iPhone. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's a whole that's a whole different topic on child labor because maybe maybe the fourteen year old is now working in a nice air conditioned factory and he was breaking rocks with a hammer before, right? And so maybe it's actually an increase in his quality of life to work in an air-conditioned factory making iPhones, you know. But but we but but we but we try to virtue signal on how terrible it is that that fourteen-year-old kid is working in a factory. We don't know what that his life was like before he got the factory job, right? So that's a you know that's another virtue signal thing that we don't really know the whole story about. But anyway. Just, I think really looking at people's incentives and why we're being coerced or forced into doing something or sold into doing something. I mean, everything is a sales pitch. If I want you to buy my products, then I'm, I'm selling you. I am selling you. Same, same with you. You got your info products online. Somebody, you want somebody to buy your info products. You have a landing page. You're selling them. What's the incentive? I think it's pretty clear. You're selling them a product that you believe in, but you want to get paid for it. Same with me. Right. But what is an incentive for Dr. Fauci to convince us to take an experimental drug to save our, our lives? Is it really save our lives or maybe there's something else going on there? Does the my life is, in danger in general? What? Does my life need saving in general? Is that up to you to decide if my life needs saving? 
Right. Well, I, you know, speaking of the COVID thing, I just posted this. You, you probably hadn't seen it today, but I posted it on Facebook. It's and I'm seeing a, a huge increase in this of people that have gotten sick from COVID recently um, that had the vaccine that have been vaccinated against COVID and they're getting sick from COVID now. And now I'm seeing this huge, a ton of people, like this huge number of people that are praising the vaccine because they didn't die from COVID and the vaccine saved their lives. And I'm thinking like literally a year ago, we were told the story that the vaccine would keep us from getting COVID and it would keep us from infecting others. It would it would make us so that we're not uh, contagious, right? And now the narrative has completely changed in one year because we can get it. We can still get it. If we're vaccinated, we can still get it. And we can still pass it on to others. So now the narrative has changed from that to it keeps us alive if we get it, right? So if you follow that narrative, like... It's a little bit funny that all, all of a sudden now we have a drug that keeps us alive from getting sick from a virus that we already had a 99.9% chance of surviving from. Thank you. Thank you, vaccine. <coughs> we, got, we got promised a new black plague. We got promised rotting bodies in the streets. I'm still fucking waiting. I know. You know, in the UK, in the UK, they, I think it's funny because I've spent a lot of time in Mexico this year. In the UK, they uh, they actually had ads showing stacks of bodies in Mexico. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Actually, like in 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 the in the subway and on on like mm-hmm. like on the street, the small billboards you see on the street in London, they actually had ads showing like dead bodies pile up in Mexico. And they were like really talking about how awful it was in Mexico. Oh. All all the time I'm living in Mexico, going to pool parties, I'm not wearing a mask anywhere. Like we're I'll, we were all in Mexico, like the whole group, and none of right. us I I'm, I'm waiting for the dead bodies there too then. Right. Yeah, you know, actually so we we had our mastermind um last month, I guess. And we, we did have one person, I'll tell you when we're not on the call, but we did have one person that ended up getting getting COVID. Now, I don't know if, I think he got it before he came. And then he was a little bit down during the week, like just a little bit weaker. He still participated and did everything and hung out the whole time. We were all hanging out with him in close proximity. We were in these small vans going on all of our excursions, like shoulder to shoulder with this dude every day, all week. Not one other of us got sick. Not one. He was a little bit sick and he tested positive for it. And I'm telling you, we were literally in these like uh, uh, these Mercedes, like 20 person Mercedes Sprinter vans with this dude shoulder to shoulder every day. Mm-hmm. We're in a closed room with him every day. And the greatest thing, what I like about this group of people I was with, we all knew at the beginning of the week he tested positive. We still didn't give a shit. We no, Nobody even cared. We're like, oh, you tested positive? Yeah, you'll be better. You'll be fine. And we're like, come on, let's let's go for lunch, you know? Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nobody cared. 
Um, and I'm in Mexico this whole time, like going to pool parties where people, you know, we didn't have a two meter social distancing. I mean, in some cases, we didn't even have a two centimeter social distancing in these pool parties. Right. And, you know, at the same time, people are sending me ads in in London with piles of bodies. I'm like, I, I you know, this is not happening here, you know. It's all it's all media frenzy. It's pretty much all media frenzy. So my utopia, crypto, um, and I'm I'm gonna say it, and I hope I don't get feedback from it. But starve the beast. Figure out every humanly possible way to minimize or eliminate your tax burden. Because the more you fund the beast, the the more you're actually funding the system that is you know. I don't know how else to say it, enslaving you, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and stop fucking voting. And and start sit with yourself for a second. And you don't have to share this these thoughts and these revelations with anyone others. But let's be honest. Where have you infantilized yourself and gave your power away to any form of authority or country daddy or parent or whatever form of authority? And hoping for someone to save you, give you directions, or lead you. Yeah. Oh my God. Amen, sister. Amen. <clears throat> you know, but this, this goes back yeah. to the uh, take personal responsibility for your life, right? So, like, I, I, you know, I have a lot of close friends, you know, back back in the states, and I just hear it all the time. Like, man, can you see? Like, I, I hate Joe Biden. I think he's a shitty president. But you know what? He has no impact on my quality of life. Zero. There we go. There we go. The only the for, for me, I enjoy making stupid memes about him because it's a hobby, and I enjoy antagonizing people and inflaming people <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> that that is for my personal pleasure. Uh, piss people off, um, but in in reality, Joe Biden has no, and neither did Trump. Trump had no impact on my quality of life. But you could say he's a racist, whatever. You could say he's sexist, misogynist. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know the guy. Maybe I think a lot of his stuff was taken out of context. Maybe not. But you know what? It didn't affect me. I don't care. And so if you take, if you look at it from the personal perspective, I'm an individual. I'm responsible for me and I'm responsible for my outcomes. And who gives a fuck what somebody hundreds or thousands of miles away said on CNN? Less outward, more inward. Are you comfortable and confident with your own morals and rules of ethic around stuff that you get upset about in regards to these big leaders? That's only thing that counts. Yeah, it's not. I kind of tell my kids this, too. Like, it's not how somebody behaves towards you because you can't control that. Mm -hmm. The only thing that actually matters is how you respond to somebody. And how they behave to you. So take take that on the more macro scale. If if Trump or Obama or Biden or whoever changes some law or makes some press release that uh, you find something bad about, you know, it's distasteful to you, and you think, and and you allow yourself to get emotionally wrapped up in the thing that that person said. That's your that's on you. Like mm-hmm. you're the one allowing that to happen. You're the one that has reacted to that. I can listen to Trump say something distasteful and laugh about it. 
close the TV or close the computer and yeah, it, it doesn't affect my life. But if I sat there and just got wrapped, wrapped around the pole about it and got upset and, and decided to make a, a big deal about it, who, who wins there? Not, not this guy. Yeah. I'm definitely not one that wins if I allow myself to react poorly to something. Like we can only react to external influence. We can't. I can't. In fact, like I, I might disagree with something in your life about how you live, but so, so what? I can't tell you how to live your life or how to do a thing a certain way. Or I might say, you know what? I really don't like that you live in Arizona. That's a dumb move. It's not, none of my business. But if I react to you living in Arizona in a negative way, then then that weight, uh, that weight, that burden falls back on me because I'm act, I'm reacting in a way that affects me, and it still doesn't affect you. <laughs> and this and, and and this is what I would say, like the the outrage culture that we currently have, and you know that is Cancel. being very yeah. <laughs> thoroughly like orchestrated especially on the internet. Oh God. Um, I can guarantee you if you're getting upset about someone or something, I it's interesting because that other person didn't think about you at all. <laughs> so now that person is living rent free in your head. And you're getting all upset. Yep. Absolutely. So with that being said, we're almost at two hours. I love it. I know it was crazy. Thank you. We must do this again as we well, shall probably. <laughs> sure. We will. I'll put all your links and everything for your world domination in the comments. And uh, thank you so much for here. Yeah. right on. Send, send it to me when you're done. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go offline and I'll say, say hi in a bit. And as Talk per to you. usual, if Ciao. you've enjoyed it or hated it or just got sparked interest or had any feelings about this episode, take a screenshot, tag me, take, tag Fearless World, share it on your stories or your timeline everywhere leave a review share it with your friends secretly if you can't be public about it and uh, just to give you a heads up the things that are going on currently we have blood coach 2.0 coming up with jesse magic the dom course is fully live the dancing with the demons is live and the money course will come at the end of the year but meanwhile Get into that fearless wealth yourself. Celebrate, celebrate gratitude. And as per always, don't forget to hydrate because self-care makes you a millionaire and you are rich and hydrated. <laughs>